Hello and welcome to the latest SIS Masters podcast. I am thrilled to introduce our guest for today, Robert Alberino. I have known Rob for some years now. He has graced us with his presence as a speaker at some of our previous events. And I have to say, he always got high praise from our delegates and attendees. Rob has a remarkable background in sports content, storytelling and production. Having worked for prestigious organizations such as NFL Films, where he has won awards for his programs, as well as the Philadelphia Eagles, Kansas City Chiefs and the San Francisco 49ers. He has been back for the last three years as Vice President of Content and Production for the Kansas City Chiefs, the reigning Super Bowl champions. In today's episode, we will deep dive into topics such as content, storytelling, and leadership with Rob, where we'll share his wisdom thoughts and unique experiences. If you are home, in transport, or running, I hope you will enjoy the conversation. If so, feel free to share and subscribe to our channel. Hi, Rob. Who are you today in Kansas City? We are doing amazing sun shining and, uh, and we're, we're prepping for the next season, right? That's coming right behind us. <laughs> After such a fantastic season, I mean, must be exciting to go for the next one. Yeah, you know, it's funny, Arno. I've never been, uh, I've never been in this position. So I've gone to two Super Bowls and I've come up empty. And we finally became world champions um, just 12 short weeks ago. Um, and the buzz is incredible. But I'll tell you, there was a time in my life where I said to myself when we were having bad seasons, you know, if we could only win the Super Bowl, I would lose every game next season. I don't care if we lose every game next season. Just let me win it this season. That is not the case. As a matter of fact, perspective is incredible. And after winning... Uh, you just want that taste to remain. It's such a fabulous taste. I, I wish it on the people I love the most um, because it's, uh, you know, getting to that mountaintop finally and looking down and really being able to size up the landscape. Um, it's an incredible feeling. And if God willing, we get to do it a couple more times before we hang it up. Uh, I'm all in. Let's, let's start with this year. Wouldn't it be nice to do a back to back? We could have, an, we could have another podcast in 365 <laughs> days talking about back to back that would be that would be a good one yeah thanks for being with us today again at sis masters i mean you're the vp content of production at the kansas city chiefs uh, but you have a fantastic experience prior to that um you've developed award-winning programs for the nfl films you worked at the chiefs you worked at F philadelphia eagles great team as well a great company, and the 49ers for some years. That's where I met you. And back again with the current Super Bowl champions, as you mentioned, having this fantastic taste of winning. Uh, I would have said addiction to winning, but now that you have it. <laughs> uh, but I would love to start with you. I would love audience to get to be a feel about you and your journey. How did you fall in love into content production and, you know, these telling stories? Yeah, it's a great question. And, you know, it's funny. I believe that my career and my journey is very linear. It's a very, I, I didn't zigzag to get my way here. I started at a small film company in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, um, and uh, was, was working on every project under the sun, none of them sports related, uh, Xerox and banking and um and jets and all these things and i was learning to create content 
um, on on topics or know that I didn't know about. And so I was becoming an expert. That's what I think a producer, a director, and a writer does. They become an expert on something they're not an expert on. And then they take that story and they tell it to the world. Um, I was doing that at a decent level as a very young guy, maybe 21, 22 years old, when an American football piece came across my desk for a, a, an NCAA team, Penn State University. They're also in Pennsylvania. Um, and uh, I was asked to create a show on them and really amplify what it was like to go to Penn State. And that began the launch of my career. Doing this show then brought me to NFL Films, where I was writing for HBO and uh, and working in basically the Hollywood of sports in America, which is NFL Films. It's a um, it's really sort of the top of the food chain for for pro sports productions. I then went to the team side with the Philadelphia Eagles. I was there for 14 years, and I learned the business of sports there. That's really where I cut my teeth. Um, I became the vice president of broadcasting, which meant that. Um, that basically anything that moves and makes sound from, you know, from the small screens to the big screens in the stadiums and everything in between, I was cutting and creating for those. I really understood the business, the marketing side, working very closely with our president and our owner there in Philadelphia. My president then became, actually my vice president in Philadelphia became the president of the Kansas City Chiefs. Thus, I came here. I was here for three years and we were an awful team. I don't know how to explain to the audience. Everybody loves a team, you know, because they grew up there or they've adopted this team. This team was unwatchable at, at this time between 2010, 2011 and 2012. We just took a precipitous downfall. Um, but I fell in love with the, with the, with the city and we were doing amazing content on a not so amazing team. And I think a lot of places in, in, in the United States, a lot of other football teams were looking at that and, uh, I was asked to then become the executive producer and vice president of the San Francisco 49ers, a historically profound team in the Bay Area, in the heart of Silicon Valley, the heart of technology. Um, I was there for eight years, and then I came back here in 2021. So in essence, I've, I'm on my third year here, and I've had three years here, so a total of six. And uh, just this last year, as you mentioned you know, we finally reached the mountaintop and won the Super Bowl, Super Bowl 57 in Arizona. And um, my, you know, my job has not changed very much um, over the course of time. It's just been added on to. Um, so I write, produce and direct in its core, in its core uh, DNA of, of my job. I am also um, tasked with helping raise military awareness um, I work along in the marketing department. Um, I work for the CMO here um, at the Kansas City Chiefs, and uh, I'm also in charge of all international production development of the international um, footprint that we have now, which is uh, Mexico City, which is um, Germany, Austria, and Switzerland. We're hoping to get your home country of France because I speak a little French, so I would love to be able to go and hang out in one of my favorite countries of all time. Um and really, I have about 25 women and men who work for me, are no, who work with me, I should say. And our job is to tell the story to the fans, tell the story to the world about the Chiefs um, across all platforms. That's the easiest way to describe it. So your job is to tell the stories. How do you plan that? How do you know which stories to tell? How do you work with the marketing teams to know what's relevant business-wise, but also because you believe in these stories to be said? 
to be transmitted. Yeah, yeah. No, that's a that's a terrific. You know, I remember being on the stage at SIS with you in, in Paris, maybe five, six short years ago, and and being asked that very same question. And the thought process, it's it's pretty simple for us. Um, unlike soccer, the real football, American football, we have helmets on our guys' faces. You know, you can't see these guys' faces. So we really want to take those helmets off and tell those stories. The, the other thing is we have 53 guys, Arno, on every roster um, in, 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 in every team here in the league. So we have a lot of stories to tell. From the first guy, Patrick Mahomes, which most people, he's a household name now, our quarterback, all the way down to the 53rd guy, which that changes based on on the season, you know, we have a lot of, we have a very young team, which is, which usually doesn't equate to, to a Super Bowl champion. We have a young team that's a champion. So that's, that bodes very well for us because we have a lot more years with these guys. Um, telling the stories, I get, I just get to know the guys. I get to know the guys. I work with an incredible communications team that we have here. Our PR department's amazing and they're constantly pitching stories. Um, you know, for instance, we have a running back named Isaiah Pacheco that we just spent some time with. He actually, um, has a, a Latinx connection. Um, I think his mom on his mom's side, um, he has, um, you know, this, this Latin influence. And so we spent some time with him. We're, we're giving that to the folks down in Mexico, as well as the people here. He actually has an incredible story. He, um, he lost uh, a brother and a sister to some violence. And so we're trying to get people to fall in love with these guys, not for necessarily what they're doing on the field, but really what they're doing off the field, their family, their pets, um, you know, how they connect to the people. Hey, I see a little bit of myself in this guy, you know, let's go and do a story on him so we can talk to kids who are gamers or kids who are writers or musicians or movie buffs. We have all these things in our building. And so we sit down on a daily basis and talk about what's the next story we're going to tell. Matter of fact, at any point, we mul- we have multiple stories going on. We have probably four shoots happening at any time across the country. And um, there's just too many stories to tell. And again, being a, a, a successful team that adds the on the field component, which really just sort of rocket fuels all these wonderful stories. So one of your big talent, you and your team, is to discover the stories first and then select what's the best one could be. Um, yes. Hmm. How do you plan it during the year? Because we were we with a lot of sports organization and the content production sometimes is I would say and I, I will be critical in some ways, quite superficial. And I know you, you, you're a man of values. You, you're, a mind, you're a mind who doesn't like superficial stuff. Um, so how do you plan what content to develop on which platform, what format to make sure the messages are reaching the audiences you want, also in a context where your audiences are multiple? I mean, you have the core fans, the older, the younger with a different consumption and so on. Yeah, this, this, so this, this could be its own masterclass yes. in, uh, in, if we talk about it. So, so let's, let's talk about two things here. One is let's talk about the multiple platforms we have. No two platforms are the same. No two platforms serve the same people, whether it's YouTube, whether it's Snapchat, whether it's TikTok, whether it's Instagram or, or, or really our mothership, which would be chiefs.com. Um, I look at this as silly as this sounds. I look at this as a buffet. If you go to any place to order a buffet, you're going to have dessert. You're going to have 
soup and salads. You're going to have vegetables. You're going to have steak. You're going to have potatoes, whatever you might want. If you eat just one of these things, you're probably not going to be satisfied, but mixing them all together and having a steady diet of these things really helps us to tell our story the best. So now let's go to the next level. Let's go to the stories that we want to tell. Those stories, do we want to gear them towards a younger audience, a core audience? Um, do we want to go to what we call the crazies, the fanatics who absolutely will will eat everything that we serve them? Or are we trying to get those casual fans to maybe step up into, into being you know the crazy fans? Um, it's like playing chess on three levels. And so we have in on one side, we have this bucket of incredible stories that we want to tell. Where do we want those stories to go? How do we want those stories to be told? Um, again, if maybe go back to that buffet thought process, there's short, mid and long form versions of shows that we do. Uh, the average, do you know the average view of a video in the United States right now? In do you know the average I would say it's in seconds. Yes, it is. That's why. See, that's why. That's why it's your podcast. Anybody else would have guessed something crazy, but it's seven <laughs> seconds. How uh, the heck yes. does, does somebody tell a story in seven seconds? You really can't, right? So you have to figure out what's the most important thing. If you're trying to reach that younger audience, you got to capture them like right out of the gate, and it's you, you've got to do it in a very small window of time. Much like you, I love a good story. I, I love to dig into it. I love documentaries. You know, that's probably for the more hardcore fan. So we basically try to figure out exactly where um, these these stories are going to live. And then we shoot customized for these specific platforms. Hmm. Um, I know that's a really broad answer to your question, but there really is no one size fits all. Um, and by the way, there are some stories that you can actually put on every single, you, you could take one story and you can digest it and break it down so it can fit on all of those pieces. Um, it just depends on um, what you want to do, who you want to reach. Oh, by the way, let's make it even more difficult. Now we take that buffet and now there's a Mexican buffet and a German buffet. So, you know, we have, we have the domestic, our German IHMA, our international home market. And then also we we use Mexico City as a base. So we're serving a lot more content. And and I think to just take a step back, a lot of this is some of these fans in, in some of these countries are experts, but some are very, very casual. So education is is a piece too. Understanding the history of the team, not just the current part of the team, but the history of the team. That's a whole nother buffet down the line. Um, and there's just, there's so many stories to be told um, and the distribution may be the most important part, as you mentioned. The distribution might be the most important part, or else it just dies. Yeah, uh, not reaching the people it should and not having an impact. Right. And where are your stories come from? I remember when we spoke one day. Let's see if I remember well. If not, tell me I'm bad. <laughs> <laughs> uh, two sources, players. And fans. That's those are those are your biggest ones. That's right. You know, so so interestingly enough, downstairs we have a big theater. And I'm often asked at the beginning of a season, we're gonna sit all of our rookies, all of the new guys, whether they've been drafted in the NFL draft, which just happened last weekend here actually in Kansas City, or these are guys who weren't lucky enough to be picked, handpicked the 270 best players in college get handpicked. There's a whole bunch of other guys who make their way to the team 
uh, not via the draft, but we literally call them up and we say, hey, Arno, we know you're an amazing running back. We want to sign you to the team. Even though you haven't been drafted, join the team. So we have about 99 guys on the team until we cut them down to 53. In the beginning of the season, I get all these new guys. I'm asked to come down and they sit in this theater and I talk to them like a dad. Hey, this is what you should expect. This is what my team does. You will see us on the team plane. You will see us on the practice field right outside. You'll see us at the stadium behind me. Our job is to tell your story. I want to learn about each and every one of you. Everybody's got some specific thing they like. I want to know about it. Swear to God, true story. When I walk out of that room after an hour, I got guys who chase me down the hall. Rob, Rob, you know what? I got this great story that I wanted to use. I'm like, make the team first. And then we'll tell that story. So sometimes, you know, the old adage in America is fishing in a barrel. You know, you got a really small uh, pond and you can just catch fish all day long. That's the one beautiful thing about being in the facility and being part of the team is the stories actually come to me. Now, to your other part about the fans, that's a great piece. Um, Fandom can come from anywhere. We've done a ton of stories on fans in Europe. We've done a ton of stories on fans down south. We've done, obviously, a ton of stories from what we call the Chief's Kingdom, which is the nine states, eight or nine states that surround us. And then, of course, from coast to coast in the U.S., there's tons of stories. So the best place to find those sometimes is somebody just DMs me on Twitter. It says, oh, my gosh, you got to meet my friend Arnaud. He's a massive Chiefs fan. He's been following him around forever, and you should see his house. It's all chiefed out. Sometimes I'll just tweet back at that guy or on Instagram, a lot. I mean, the beautiful thing about social is they might as well be in our backyard because they're just connecting with us. Um, word of mouth is another way. You know, I might see something on TV that's super special and I can, and maybe, you know, Brad Pitt has a Chiefs hat on. Well, I'm calling Brad Pitt. He actually is a Chiefs fan. Um, so, you know, there's a lot of fun stories out there that you just happen to stumble across. Um, you know, we call it happenstance, but a lot of times social is the wick that gets to, gets to us or just downstairs uncovering those stories and friendly conversations. Hmm. So Pant, you're looking for stories and they come to you in different ways. Yep. And players, you kind of tease them. You make them wish to be part of the game through. Correct. Yeah, correct. And, and, you know, the funny thing is, you know, fans can, 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 they, you know, at Robert Alberino is my Twitter. If you have a good story and you're listening to this and you're a Chiefs fan, I expect to hear from you. Um, I'm, I'm more quiet on Twitter these days. I'm more of a viewer than I am a responder, but I see what's happening. Um, but, you know, the, the players, I think the beautiful thing is players see us working with them and then we put it out. And I'll, I'll have more guys often than not stop me as we're walking by the locker room. Hey, do you guys think you could do a thing on us? Or I've got this special camp that's happening in Detroit or California. Will you come and will you, will you film it? And I'd love to you know, get my message across. One of the things that we like to do is if in fact a guy is a part of something very special and it happens to win an award, we'll typically get a copy of that award, like an Emmy or something and physically get it to him. Um, that's kind of a, a way that we really, really can entice guys to be like, wow, I'd really like to be a part of something special like that as well. Um, and so there's just really interesting things. I and mean, we have, there's so many wonderful stories to be told. And, you know, these guys, they want to tell their story. That's the nice thing. They're not afraid of a camera. You know, they, they're not afraid of the spotlight. And they're just, um, 
you know, I think it's the one thing when you walk away from a sport or know that you can say, here's the thing, um, you know, they can show it to their grandkids, grandkids, you know, they might have a play that scores a touchdown or they might do something big on the field and it lives for this long. But if we do something that's got some meat to it, that's got some history to it, they can have that for the rest of their life. They can share it and, you know, they can go back and kind of reflect on it, you know, when they're old and gray, like, like me and that, but they can, they can call it up and relive the the glory days. We, we want to be that, that part that gives back to them as opposed to asks. Yeah. It's like, Kind of very proud of having this piece of content. That's right. Yeah. So how do you organize your team? Because a team, you produce a lot of content, right? Yearly. We sure do. Yeah. yeah. Numbers or to illustrate that. And how do you organize your team? Is it more technical stuff, writing, copywriting, or how is it? Yeah, that well, that's the ultimate question. So when I was asked to, to come back here, I inherited a, a pretty pretty rock solid team that was truly based on a lot of the teams that I had created in the past. So when I came here, some of the people when I came here in 2010, 11, 12, some of the same people were still here. When I returned, of course, it's elevated, but the superstructure and the vision remain the same, which actually touched my heart because you hope that your legacy lives on whether you're you know in this seat or not. And it was living on. And and the young women and men here who were doing a really good job, not even we've got we've got veteran and novice people across the board. Um, my one goal was to assure that there wasn't duplicative efforts, you know, in, in the area. I always want each person on our team to have a superpower, some superpower that nobody else has. If I hire five of the same guys and girls. Well, then how am I really going to kind of push the boundary? So, <clears throat> excuse me, I want somebody who, you know, it's great to have, let me, exp- what would a superpower be? Writing would be a superpower. Motion graphics would be a superpower. Extreme editing would be a superpower. Being able to shoot a ball coming at you 70 miles an hour and being able to read the read the um, the serial number on the ball. You know, those are superpowers. Somebody who can tell a story, somebody who can create trust is a superpower. Um, so. Uh, uh, and in the women and men on my team, each one of them does something exceptional that the other one does not. Now, they might all be producers. They might all be creators. Um, I think if I were to just be very specific, I have two shooters who were designed totally for social shooting, short form, um, you know, quick, fast, sexy videos. I have one, two, three, four, five, six people designed specifically produced for mid and long form. I have a director who's in charge of all my long form. I have a director who's in charge of all um, long form, mid form and short form for uh, international projects. We have a copywriter. We have uh, live directors. We have live producers. Um, We actually have a producer who creates only internal pieces. She does them. She does pieces for our sales group so they can go out and sell our stories. Um, it's amazing. You, you can't believe that a team, a, a sports team, whatever, just name whatever sports team you want, take the logo off the helmet or the jersey. They are built like probably if they're worth anything, they are built like the best production team in town. They have you know, they have the ability to have multiple shoots going on at once. They can handle large, large dollar sign productions. They can ha- handle small, quick, swift productions. Um, 
we are the in-house production team for the club. So I have to build my team based on that same type of thought. I might need four different shoots, inherently different shoots across the city and across the country. And I need to pick my best, my best chess piece and move them to attack that. Um, and as I hire the only, and we might touch on this and, uh, you know, towards the back end, yeah. but the only similar qualities I look for in a, in a woman or a man on my team is that they're empathetic, kind, courageous, and they have trust. Those four things, if you can do those four things and you have a superpower, I can teach you anything else you need to know. I can't teach you those four things. If you don't know those four things, then your mom and dad did something wrong and I can't fix it, right? That's kind of my thought. Empathy, empathy, kindness, courage, and trust. And I actually put those in that order, not to get too philosophical because they sort of need to be in that order in my mind. You know, the empathetic side of things is, look, man, Rob's having a tough day. We got to cover him. You know, our node's having a tough day. We've got to cover him as opposed to how come Rob's not working as hard today, right? I don't want people coming in and complaining about the course load. Two is kindness. That's that's another easy one. There are people who walk in our room who need things that maybe only four eyeballs will see, not four million. I'm just getting numbers right now. You know, we have uh, the most uh, followed TikTok um, with almost, we have 2.99 million followers. So let's just call it three. And we have a, a footprint of 11 million Chiefs fans across our channels. Those are the things you want to cut for if you're a producer or a writer. But somebody might come in and say, hey, Arnaud and I need a, uh, we need a sales demo that we're going to show a CEO and it's only going to be seen by two people. Well, somebody might brush that off to the point of kindness. Well, it's not that important. We've got 3 million people on TikTok. Well, guess what? It is important. And let's be kind to that person who's walking in here because if they close that deal, we might be able to hire three or four more people. Um, courage is an easy one. I do get a lot of youthful people who come in here and I move fast. I'm from the East Coast. I move fast. And a lot of times people are afraid to raise their hands. I tell people all the time, raise your hand. The best idea in the room is the best idea in the room. And I mostly hear great ideas from my newer employees than my older employees, because I really feel like, you know, these folks come in with just these great ideas that they've maybe done that, that we can, we can learn from. Um, so courage is big and trust is an easy one. You and I talk about this. We've been friends for a, a decade and, you know, the thought process of you got to trust those people next to you. You got to trust them to make a decision when you're there, when you're not there. Um, so, so important. So, you know, the empathy, you know, kindness, courage, and trust. That's my that's my baseline for what I need you to be before you walk in these doors. And then show me your superhuman power. Your yeah, superhuman then then power. talent. Talent comes <laughs> next. You, then you got to be talented. But I can teach you how to write, produce, and direct. I can do that with you know my eyes shut. But being a good human is important. You know, you, you've you've managed teams of significant size, and nobody ever walks into a you know if you're a leader and you're watching this. Um, nobody ever walks into your door and says, you know, Hey, how was your day? Okay, great. Bye. And they walk out. That never happens. They walk in and they say, I need, and I want, those are the two things that I've got a problem that I need you to solve. I want this problem solved. And so, you know, for me, I need my team working properly. And so I can handle the heavy stuff and they can, you know, I need to trust that they're handling everything else. And it's interesting also, you say, because many sports organizations, as the same as themselves, should I do it in-house or contract agencies, producers, or 
Mm-hmm. It's needed, and should I have the creativity inside, or use creativity outside, or or do a mix? In your case, it seems you believe that a state of the art organization should be a state team, should be a state of the art production team as well. Uh, yeah, hands down. No, I believe I believe it should start here. However, we do use agencies. For instance, we know our weaknesses. I think knowing your strengths are important. You know, your strengths are we can write, we create, we live here 365 days a year. We know football. We know this team. We know ownership. We know what they expect of us. However, knowing your weakness is just as important. And a lot of people don't want to know the truth. What do we do well? What don't we do well? I can tell you what this place doesn't do well. We do not do motion graphics well we do not do animation at all and so a lot of our work if we're doing animation i will look for talented animators um because that is an incredible skill set that we just don't possess um you know uh large format um large format productions studio wise we just don't simply have the space where we are right now and so if we needed to do something with a studio or something that 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 spans into virtual reality or something very tech heavy that we might not have, we would have to go out of house and do that as well. Um, you know, there's just a couple of things we're getting better as we grow. Our, our marketing um, department has become arguably one of the best in the NFL, if not the best in the NFL. We have, a, we're about 60 plus strong. We have everything from a project manager to a CMO from a script writer to to very specific social producers and everything in between. So again, there there isn't, you know, if it was a if it was an armed forces group, we have we have everything from the mercenaries to the grunts and everything in between. Um, but we still find that there are needs to go out and do agency work, especially in the in the international world. I don't know how a German views football. We need people to help us create properly. I don't know how a Mexican really enjoys football. We need to work with these agencies to help us understand that local culture, that local flavor. Um, And I mean, I've gotten a PhD in both of those areas in the last two years, and I love every minute of it because of these fabulous agencies that we're working with. So it's pretty, it's pretty crazy. We can only grow. That's the good thing. Yeah. In that, in that content production work, how tell how tech has been helping you or how challenging it is eventually because trying things all the time is shouldn't be i'm sure it's not that easy maybe it's not your process by the way uh so how do you in, include new techs and innovation to help you build more relevant content yeah yeah it, it, you know I, i'll take a step back to my previous stint in in the bay area yep. Other than probably Tokyo, I don't think there is a more tech-savvy area in the world than Silicon Valley. Sometimes, how do I say it nicely, you don't want to do tech for tech's sake, right? Uh, I had an old boss, uh, Gideon Yu, who was the guy who brought, who brought me to the Niners. Um, brilliant, brilliant man. He was our president, and he's still a, a, a minority owner for the 49ers. He used to say, we're not going to do tech for tech's sake. We're not going to do it just because it's kind of sizzly and sexy. We're going to do it if it actually makes sense. And so part of being out in the in the, the middle of tech central in the United States was deciding what was worth 
our time and 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 pushing off the things that weren't worth our time. We also had a very tech savvy stadium. We had it was built in 2014. Um, it was it was ready to accept a lot of this new technology. People could interact with all the boards and all of the LEDs throughout the stadium. Here, just about 400 meters behind me is Arrowhead Stadium, GHA Field at Arrowhead, and that she was built 50 years ago. Now she's gone through some makeup and she's excuse me gone through some renovation, but um, more or less she's a very historical. Um, we're, we're dragging her into the technology world, um, but that is not as driven by tech as as the Bay Area was. So to answer your question directly, um, we often do um, use technology to get better. However, a lot of that technology might not be the core technology that, that people are thinking about, phones and how they interact um, and how they, you know, they guide and how fans can have user generated content to the boards. We just don't have the throughput for that. We have 80,000 bodies in that stadium and, and our, our bandwidth shrinks tremendously from the tech side. When I hear you say tech from the tech side for us, it's new cameras, new ways to shoot things, um, new ways to capture things, new ways to capture audio. Um, how do we have our live events um, have some sort of connectivity you know whether it's um, some of some of the the pieces that we're using that may be familiar to those watching this, or things like Tagboard or Digero machines, so we can physically broadcast from anywhere and put those live shows on. Somebody could have a backpack on and be shooting a camera out in the parking lot and can go to our live show. Um, we definitely rely on a lot of tech. I would say not nearly as much as I did in my previous life, and there's a give and take to some of that. I do think that the opportunities that are coming up right now are incredible. I mean, we're looking at some amazing cameras. They're moving into the 8K um, and, and, and above things that can really make a broadcast sing or make production sing. I think the biggest challenge is cash and the ability to make that make sense, not you know, go back to that original thought process. Are we just doing it because wow, it's new and it's and it's 8K and it's tech for tech's sake? Or is it physically solving a challenge for us? Is it making money for us? Because again, we're we're in the business of telling stories, just like when I go back to the to the beginning of this conversation. However, we're also in the begin we're we're in the, the, the business of of making money as well. And so if I can do both of those at the same time and I can keep people coming back, but I can also keep the lights on, that's a big piece for us. Hmm. Two questions come to me. One is about how much your content is helping the business. If it's it's a very broad question, I don't know if the answer is that simple. <laughs> and, yeah. and then we go to the in-stadium experiences. But when it comes to the contribution of content to the business, because again, many sports organizations that are developing big football clubs, for example, your production team is massive compared to a soccer club, uh, most soccer clubs. Um, sure. Uh, why should I invest in so much content? How should I measure the impact on the business or get the best of it for the business? This is not easy question, easy um, questions to answer. 
No, no. And, and you're, you're hitting the nail on the head. You know, we sit down with our sales team. We have a really, really good sales team. And that sales team is out there selling their butt off, trying to do as many things as possible to bring in a significant amount of money. That is why clubs are in business. Now, with every dollar that's made, that's better guys we can sign, better facilities, you know, better cameras, more people that we can have, you know, on our team. I would say a fair amount. Uh, I think we just did a deep dive recently. And in my head, I would say well over 75% of the work we do is partnered, is sponsored content. You probably won't be able to tell because the sales team is doing a great job. And we are doing a great job of not just slapping a logo on that screen. We're, 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 you know, we're working on integrating whatever our partner's elements are and our elements so it feels seamless and it makes sense. Um, that's that's one thing. However, I'll talk out of both sides of my mouth, and I will say that there is an important part of growing the business that has nothing to do with actually putting logos on or selling a product, creating sentiment so people fall in love with this team when they're eight years old. You know, you think about your daughter, you know, if she fell in love with with something, I think it's horses, I think it's equestrian. If she fell in love with something, she's probably going to carry that on if she loves that for a certain amount of time. And I think that catching those kids when they're young through sentiment, not through logos and partnerships, is equally as important as building that fan for life as it is bringing in dollars on a monthly and yearly basis. So I think we balance that. I think we balance the sentiment of the product you know, what we call the brand. And we have some incredible brand folks on our marketing team. And their job is to uncover things that don't necessarily have a logo attached to them, but but tugs on those heartstrings and makes you fall in love with those players. Makes you because I, I always used to say, and there's there's a Chiefs helmet right over here out of the corner of my eye. So if I point at it, that's what I'm pointing at. Nobody falls in love with the logo on the side of your head. Nobody does. Nobody falls in lo- in love with the logo on your jersey. They fall in love with the guy or the girl who's a part of that team. And even when they leave, you still have that love for the team and so that's carried on. So I think it's really important for us to drive sentiment. Now, you can't only do sentiment because you do have to keep the lights on. You do have to keep the Wi-Fi moving and you have to keep the new cameras moving. So again, I use the word chess, but it is a chess match, you know, and you have to put the right pieces towards selling. And you also have to say, look, here's a time we're going to put a ton of energy and kick some serious butt on this feature because we think it's going to pull heartstrings and it's going to get five or six million eyeballs and people are going to fall in love with us. There's a cash value to that too. Yeah. It's a brand equity. It moves the needle when it comes to brand brand love. Yep. That's right. Hmm. Yeah. Um, how do you, uh, going back to the Previous answer, you mentioned the in-stadium experience with content. Um, yeah. How do you incorporate content and production elements to enhance the in-stadium experience for the fans? That's the easiest question you can ask me all day. So um, <laughs> so I've watched the beautiful sport. I've watched, you know, football. Um, you know, it, it was funny. I was just uh, talking about, I, I think Ted Lasso's recent episode had Arsenal on it. And I had just spoken at Arsenal last year or maybe, maybe 18 months ago. And I was like, oh my gosh, you know, I remember seeing a game there and it just looked amazing. And, but it flows back and forth. The game flows back and forth in soccer. It almost never stops. Football is stop, start, stop, start, stop, start, stop, start. There's just, it's, it's a lot of little pieces. And then there are big breaks in between it. 
and we just have a blast. It is a circus. It is fun. There are trivia. There's ways to connect with the board. There's music videos. What's not to love? It's it's literally a it's a production from the second the the gun goes off to the to the second the the gun tells us that the game is over. It's three hours of a festival. It's music. It's lights. It's lots of different things and we can integrate partnerships in there and you don't even know you're looking at a partnership that's the fun thing the other fun thing and this sounds very snotty but it is not you know we are a very good team have been a very good team for the past arguably eight years but the last five years we've been at the top of the top three super bowls in the last four years we've won two of them which means coming to home games you're most likely going to see a win um so that also adds to the energy of the fun. And um, gosh, we just, you know, we we bring the energy from a zero to a 10. We bring it to a 10. We keep it at a 10 there until the game is over. And then it goes back down to a one. You go home exhausted, but you've been bombarded with all this wonderful stuff. A lot of it's actually been partnered stuff, but it's really, um, it's we, we try to make it all entertaining. Um, I think we probably have about 40 partners on game day. I think if you asked anybody that question, they'd probably say eh, 10, maybe, maybe I think I saw 10, which is good. If they said 80, you'd be scared. You yeah. know, you'd be, you'd be like, shoot, I'm not doing my job right. And 10 is a good ratio, 10 and 40. Yeah, that's a good, yeah, yeah, for sure. So you might, so entertainment and no breaks, all, all game long findings. Yeah, it's just, you know, even, even hike. in the breaks, even in the breaks, there's no breaks. <laughs> <laughs> the right. breaks up for you is a, the fun part <laughs> yeah yeah that's it that's it cool you've been working with different teams um you i think you've been to a super bowl with the niners uh yes. now you're with the teams that i won two recently how does it change the way you sing the content how does it impact your content strategies you know i worry a lot I heard a I heard a stat that you after you turn 50, I'm 53, you worry more between 50 and 60 than you do your entire life. Boy, is that true. Uh and it's because your kids, it's because of your parents. For me, it's because when you're really, really good, and we are really, really good right now, that could end at any minute. So you cannot winning is not a strategy. So I often worry you know, hey, we've done really great. We've set expectations for this city, for this league, for this country, that every year we've got a target on our back and people are trying to beat us. Injuries can change that. A, a couple of bad bounces can change that. So when I'm thinking about content, I'm trying to think about evergreen things that don't have to rely on the scoreboard out there. Um, because that winning definitely isn't a strategy. I try to build things in advance knowing that I'll give you an example, a concrete example. Um, if we were to do something on pets, that has nothing to do, you know, guys who love their dogs and cats, right? Which we're going to be doing that work on has nothing to do with the scoreboard. We can be 0 and 17 or 17 and 0, and people will still watch those pieces. Um, we can do pieces on his history. History never changed. Um, great players of the past, uh, Hall of Fame players. Um, there's a lot of different things that we can do. You know, guys with their kids, guys with their families, guys with their um, with their philanthropic endeavors. Um, now, can I have that? And can I have a good team? Yes. 
but I can't, I can only strategize for this. I can't strategize for the good team. Like that's only for God to come up with. So we've got to figure out what that is. So, so for me, you know, I, I try to prepare for the worst and sort of hope for the best. And by preparing for the worst, give me as much evergreen stuff that I can air between, you know, our season starts from September to Jan- to February, hopefully. I start preparing for that March, April, May, June, July. And I put all those things in the, in the, in the cupboard and I pull them out whenever I want. As long as they're evergreen, they can air between March and, and, and December. It doesn't make a difference. The winning stuff can only air here. Um, I don't know if I'm making sense, but I just have to be really careful about how I pick and choose that, that content. And those stories too should, if possible, be as evergreen as possible so that, you know, my team isn't like, wow, we lost five in a row. What do we do now? We have to throw away all this stuff because it was all built based on winning. You know, we have to, we have to be a lot more wise when it comes to sort of laying those things out. No, that's very clear. That's very clear. Going back to the values, you mentioned empathy, kindness, courage, and trust. Yep. You've changed. You had a fantastic time at the Niners, my new part of the team and great people. Then you moved and you had options, which is a luxury. Uh, only yes. ones <laughs> like you. Yep. Uh, yep. How do, you know, and you get close to 50s in that case. Um, you know, the decision you take are quite important in your life uh, in a moment, but still, it's very important. What are the criteria for you to select an organization to work with? What matters really to you? So you and I have talked well off the camera, you know, a bunch of times. I consider you a friend. I also know you're a tremendous dad, a tremendous husband. Um, a lot of those things, when I become, when, you know, when I became a dad, I have three kids, 27, 20, and, and 14. We spread them out so we could have babysitters, which was kind of nice. <laughs> um, so I often tell my kids that choices are the best things that you can have. And then I tell myself that too, Arno, you know, having a choice or having someone make up the choice for you, two very different things, six or seven options here, one option here. For me, um, I've always been lucky enough to have choices. I think, you know, I think testament again, if uh, not to be a wise guy, but testament of being in the league for nearly 30 years. Um, you know, I still to these days, you know, get, get that phone call. Hey, we would love to have you on this team or that team. But those, I have always chosen the teams that I've gone to. I've been very lucky in that case. Not, not everybody's as lucky. Um, I, I think, there are probably three things that are core for me when making a choice. Absolute number one is leadership. Am I going to go someplace where the leader has that vision? Um, And not only the vision, but I think patience is a word I'm looking for because, you know, not everything happens just like that. As a matter of fact, nothing happens just like that. And so having vision and what that means is give me, this is my one, my two, my five-year game plan allow me that vision. You know, patience is lost on a lot of leaders these days. And, and I've worked for some fabulous leaders and I've worked for some not so fabulous leaders. And, you know, I think to use the chiefs as an example, uh, they have a consistent front office that's remained consistent from when I left to when I returned, which is pretty interesting, but they have a vision, they have a game plan and they execute that game plan, even if they hit turbulence along the way. Um, so that's the number one thing I look for. Number two is 
how are they viewed, you know, sort of in the ecosystem? How is that company viewed in an ecosystem outside of, if I were to ask anyone, do they know about them? Do they know how they operate? Can they give me some thought processes on that? Um, especially people who may have left. Do people leave on good terms? Are people ejected? Are people just kind of cast away? I think I like to know the history of a team and sort of how they deal with things. And then the last thing I want to know, what is the mission statement of the team? Like, what is the actual, what is our goal? Football is probably 10% of what we do because we only play 20 games a year, right? 20 games a year and four of them or three of them don't even count. They're just kind of warm-up games, our preseason games. What do we do in the other 345 days out of the year. Are we serving the community? Are we making things better? Are we connecting with across the seas? Are we connecting with the military? Are we trying to do things great for the youth in in town? And so I try to take all those things into account. The one thing I don't take into account is I don't care if the team is good or bad physically on a record end, because that can go like this, right? You're thinking your favorite team. They've had great years. They've had crappy years and they'll just go like this. Luckily, We've been like this, um, but I never, ever think about that because I know that that's the one always in flux piece. Leadership and vision, the ability to let us do those things. What does the team stand for and how is the team perceived? Those are the, I think if you ask yourself about it, t- take a football team or a soccer team out of the mix, ask, the, ask that question about any company you're willing to go work for. If you get good answers there, you're probably looking in the right place. That's that's the easiest way I can I can say it. And I will say, I will say, sometimes the shiniest thing isn't the best thing because I've been teased, you know, oh my gosh, this is shiny or this is and and there are companies that I've gotten close to but maybe haven't made the decision. And I've stepped back and said, boy, you know what? That was a little too shiny. Maybe 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 I've got to not look at that shiny thing. You know, it's like that fish going for uh, going for the lure. Sometimes you have to just take a step back um, and and just really assess if it's right for you for the reasons. Those are my three reasons. Super interesting. In your career, what do you think has been, very classic question, but um, what do you think has been the most challenging? Maybe, I, or I could rephrase in a way that, if you have to give an advice to someone getting into that career about content and production into sports organization, what challenges will they face? How they have to face those, cha- those challenges? That's a, that's a heck of a question um, because there's been a lot of them. Um, I, I, I mean, I think I can break it down into the physical and the mental. And, and, and that's what I would probably do. One is our, our business, the production business, the content creation business, it takes a lot of effort and you're really only as good as the last thing that you've done. Um, it takes, it takes time. It takes effort. And, and again, I, I'm not denouncing any other career. However, this career takes, I mean, there's not a, there's not a night that I go to bed that I don't think about what I have to do tomorrow. I bring my job home with me all the time. So I think that's the physical side of things. Um, I think the piece of advice that I would give people. And again, now, I've gone through a lot more things. I've gone through uh, COVID layoffs. I've gone through, you know, lots of different. I, at my last position, I had multiple bosses in multiple years, so I had lots of changing of directions and 
Um, I think if I could give advice to people in the business or in a leadership role, my biggest piece of advice is, you know, take a step back. Don't automatically trust every single person that is on your team or in your peripheral. Take a step back, lead, and and make sure that there's you're treating everyone equal and making sure that, you know, you don't want to share too much of your personal side or you don't want to be too heavy handed on work. There has to be sort of a, a nice, steady balance. I think if I could probably be critical of myself, I think my goal in life was always to make my teams feel good, feel wanted, feel like they know that they're a part of something big. And a lot of times I was in the business of saving them from making mistakes. Mm. I was like, don't worry. If you make a mistake, we'll cover you. We'll take, I probably, Arno took, uh, took beatings when I shouldn't have taken beatings and gave credit where I shouldn't have given credit. I've really balanced that out now, if I'm being honest, probably to a much more professional level. If somebody falls and fails, I'm going to let them know that they fell. And I'm, you know, never openly and overtly, but bring them in my room and we're going to talk about why they fell and we're going to mark down why they fell and we're going to talk about this. And listen, we can't make that mistake again. Before I would probably just brush it under a rug, but there's no growth and development there. You know, growing trust and making people uh, want to work alongside of you, that's probably why you do those things. But I actually believe that if you're honest with people and you work with people and you critique them properly, they'll appreciate that a lot more than sort of life-saving techniques. And um, I am not in the business of saving lives anymore. I am in the business of growing good women and men. And if they make mistakes, that part of it is business. I do want to be personal all the time. I want to connect with people. I've had people walk in this room as early as a few days ago and have tears because they've got challenges that they need. I will always sit and listen to those things. However, my job is always to lead this team properly and fairly and make sure that we're accountable across all boards. So um, I think that I think being a little bit more professional and, and connected to not only the club and the people, but a good balance of that so that I'm not, I'm not imbalanced on either side is key for me. It's really, really key for me. And you know, you don't, you never stop learning. I mean, I, I'm learning all the time. I'm learning all the time. And um, I, I would I would argue this. If, you know, my wife told me a great thing, Lisa, who I, I believe you've met, she she's an incredible businesswoman. She has a um, she has a great saying. And the saying is hire slow, <laughs> fire fast. Now, I haven't had to fire anybody yet. But the thing is, if there are mistakes that are constantly made, at some point, you've got to make tough decisions. That's what you're getting paid for. And you want to put the right people in place so maybe you don't have to get here. You know, that, that could be its own podcast too. Hiring mistakes, successes with Arnaud and Rob. We could go through a million of them. <laughs> and it's very similar to the role of a coach. It's exactly the same as a role to it's, – it's funny. I almost said that. I can't believe that you said that. It's You have to assess people properly and honestly and if you have a player who's aging or if you have a player who's missing the shots on goal what do you what do you do 
You know, if they're not doing their job properly, if they're not, you know, hitting the goals on the mark, you got to pull them aside, send them through some practice. And every once in a while, you got to cut one. And each one has to have a super talent on his position. But I, I, that's a I love point. it. Yep. Look at you bringing it all the way back to the beginning. I love it. <laughs> yeah. No, no. Thanks a lot. Very interesting. Yeah. Growing, yeah. Into business of growing people, which applies to any field. I'm not content of production alone, but any, any, that's right. any business. That's hmm. right. That's right. Now we go to our ritual at the end okay. of the podcast. Yep. I've got I a think I recall. Them. Huh? I, I recall, but I'm ready for it. <laughs> What's your for who's your favorite all-time athlete? Favorite all-time athlete is Brian Dawkins from the Philadelphia Eagles. However, it's quickly being surpassed by Patrick Mahomes because he's like watching Michael Jordan play. Patrick Mahomes is incredible, but still Brian Dawkins because the kid in me still loves Brian Dawkins. Hmm. Your favorite coach? Favorite coach? Gosh, I uh, probably Bill Cower. He was a he was a a coach for the Pittsburgh Steelers, and I remember, um, you know, I went to school in Pittsburgh, and I remember falling in love with Bill Cower because when he lost the Super Bowl, his daughter and his wife, who had passed has passed away since, came to him moments after losing the Super Bowl, and said to him, they were crying, "Oh my God, I can't believe you lost the Super Bowl," and he said, just to make them feel better, you win some, you lose some, and I was like, wow. Does that take some time? So I always want to be like him. Plus, he was a hell of a coach, too. Mm. You've seen the interview of Chenny's uh, from, from the Bucks recently last no. week? The answer to oh, the question yes. failure? Yes. Yeah, he's like, hey, you're not always going to be great. You know, you're not <laughs> not every game. That's right. That's right. I did see that. Pretty Super. good answer. Yeah. 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 Smart. Um, your favorite event? That I've been to or that I... That you've experienced. Wow. I know. I'm not rubbing your ears. The SIS event in Paris might have been my favorite <laughs> thing that I've ever been to. I swear to you that I've ever been to as a professional. That was absolutely awesome. I met some of the coolest people in my life there. But I am going to now say that actually, if you just go from flat out event, winning the Super Bowl, being at the Super Bowl this year um, was, uh, was earth shattering. How did yeah. you feel? It was the fourth best day of my life. It was the fourth. Was the first first was marrying Lisa. Second was having my kids. Third was being asked to be a part of the U.S. military. Number four was winning the Super Bowl. I I, I can't explain it to you unless you do it. It's 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 as good as anything you've ever done, and I mean anything you've ever done. <laughs> Your favorite stadium. Favorite stadium. Maybe you're not going to mention one of the teams you work with, so it's going to be easy. Yeah, no, and it isn't. I don't think it is. I don't think it is. Um, I don't think it is. Um, boy, that is a heck of a question. I'll tell you, there's a there is a an old stadium that I love, and it's it's in New Haven, Connecticut. It's called Yale Bowl, and it's eighty thousand seats, all bleachers, and it's almost never changed. It's like the Roman Coliseum. It's like crumbling, but when I walk in there, I I just know it. It's just such an amazing place. There's, I mean, it, there's nothing. Yeah, but it's just. Uh, college football. Yep. College football. And the, the New York giants used to play there a long, long time ago, maybe only for a couple of years. Um, but it's probably a hundred plus years old, but when I walk in there, it just has this incredible historical feeling. It's probably a terrible place to watch a game, but every time I go home, I, you know, to Connecticut where my folks are from, I try to stick my head in there just for the hell of it. <laughs> Your favorite word. 
Boy, that is a great one. Um, <laughs> one word that I use a lot, and I think I've been teased for, is extrapolate. Do you know extrapolate? Yep. You know, when you take something and you pull it apart, you extra. I always like using that word because it's such a great word. It feels like a good Scrabble word, extrapolate. <laughs> <laughs> one, you've mentioned some. Uh, maybe you can. You want to go back to one you've already mentioned. But one tip or advice you've received yourself, you, you'd like to transmit again. Obviously, one, hire slow, fire quick. <laughs> yep. Yeah, I mean, I, I think I think for me, the, the one tip that I would do is, you know, is, and I didn't do this for probably 25 years. And I realized that I didn't do it until about maybe 2016, when I really, we were a terrible team in 2016 in San Francisco. I think we were two and 14. And instead of always trying to get to the top of the mountain, sometimes when you know you're not going to get to the top of the mountain at all, like you know that season's a wash, is sometimes you have to just kind of stop and enjoy the moment and live in the present tense. And as I got older and I realized that, you know, my career has a, has a timestamp on it. At some point, I won't be able to do what we do. At some point, I'm going to travel the world with Lisa and do some amazing things. So I better start enjoying the now, right now. And until I started enjoying that, and I tell all these these incredible producers who are 21, 22, 23, that they just won a world championship, and it took me 29 years to do it, I'm like, stop, breathe, give a little bit of thanks, when you go to bed, give a little bit of thanks when you wake up. And if you see something amazing, you don't have to pull out your phone and take a picture of it. Just kind of enjoy the sort of the here and now of, of, of what's in front of you. And I often find that, that I can smell the roses uh, a lot better. And there are times that I'll just sit in my car and I'll enjoy something. Or sometimes when I walk into work and the, you know, the flags are blowing and the sun's on my face, sometimes I'll just go to the stadium and just walk the fields for 10 minutes in the morning just to, just to be grateful um, for the situation because it could change just like that. And, um, so I would argue that whether you're 21 or 71 live in the present tense as much as possible. I think there was that great Michael Jordan, um, um, documentary that just came out the last dance. Had you see, I don't know if you've seen it, but it's absolutely incredible. And Michael Jordan always lived in that moment. He was never worried about a shot that he took. He never thought about the shot he was about to take. He was just in the present. And uh, when I watched that, my wife was like, oh, my gosh, you're a lot like Michael Jordan. I'm like, you must really be in love with me because, I'm, you know, <laughs> that's, a, that's a pretty heavy thing. She's like, no, you think a lot like him now. And I'm like, well, I appreciated that. It might have been one of the biggest compliments she gave me. So live in the present tense. Like, I mean, I, I just got to speak to a good buddy for an hour. And he's recording it. You know, I'm going to go back and and show this to my kids and my wife. And this is a pretty neat thing, right? Like we had some time together. This was cool. Last question: If heaven exists, what would you like to hear God say when you arrive at the pearly gates? I just honestly, there's only one thing. Like you lived your life right. You were a, you were a great friend, son, husband, um, you know, father, uh, employee. Uh, employee last, to be really honest with you, the, the other ones are way more important. Um, you know, we talk about that all the time. And I have a guy who works with me and he said, I heard you say that about 20 years ago. And that is how I decided to live my life. That's it. You know, I think the world is probably there's, you know, you'd want to please 40,000 people, but there's really only 40 people that need 
your extreme love and attention. And as long as you're given and treat everybody kindly, don't get me wrong. But if you can worry and focus on these 40 people that really, really need your love and you will attain that when you get there, they'll be like, boy, you did a great job. So that's the answer. Rob, thank you for so much wiseness, I would say. Uh, thanks again for your time. We've been speaking a lot together, and each time I speak with you, I learn new things. So thanks so much. And Well, I uh, appreciate it. I, I, you as well. <laughs> we'll be in touch. And as I masters, I hope, fans, I hope you loved it as, as much as I did. Thank you That's again. It. Au revoir, mes amis. <laughs> Thank you all for listening to a new SIS Masters podcast. We'd love you to subscribe. Please leave a review or rate the podcast. It will help us improve. We'd love to see you in the next episode. Enjoy. Enjoy.